So I was I was recalibrating the the dilithium cores, the dilithium chambers the other day, and uh, someone spray painted a big dick on the on the side of it. Oh right. Yeah, I kept it though. Okay. Well, I feel good. like it works. It's quiet in there, isn't it? A Frontier. These are the voyages of the podcast Captain Slug. Its ongoing mission to explore strange new episodes, to seek out new jokes and new references, to split infinitives that no one has split before. Captain Slug, Star Date seventy eight. This is um, this is this is the Christmas episode, I guess. Uh, I, I'm Eddie. Mark's here. We're, we're talking about Star Trek. Are, are you Ben? Mark, are you doing Christmas? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I'm not very well. I've got a bad cold, and it's not just it's not just a man flu or whatever them woke fem Nazis are trying to <laughs> push on us these days. Because I've been delirious. Eddie Murphy's delirious. <laughs> and, Came out of a book and Red Raw. Which I think might also have been another. <laughs> Raw was Eddie Murphy. Yes. It's the one that is definitely not okay anymore because yes. he, his views on how AIDS gets transferred. Uh, yes. <laughs> and also my stu- stupid fucking audacity won't maintain. Stay at one recording level, you fuck. So I might get louder or quieter. Through no fault of my own. Do you know what? I'm glad that we've had a few good openers on this podcast because this has been a shambles. <laughs> yeah, I'm not very well, but Eddie was like, I've got a mortgage to pay. We have to do this for the Patreon money, that precious £3.50 or whatever we get every month. I don't give a fuck that you're sick. Luckily, this was a very simple episode to, to, to digest. <laughs> It was. It was. Basic, it was. It was. This is the women be shopping episode um, <laughs> of, of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Uh, women, they just get trapped in their own little alternative reality warp bubbles, don't they? Yeah. And then what? And then and then, no matter what you say to them as a man, no, they're right. That's <laughs> <laughs> a good suggestion. This episode, isn't it? Yeah. I like it this is. episode. Is there any? Is, is there any is there any other bullshit that no one cares about that we have to talk about before start? How are you, Eddie? For example, all right, there is there is something because I I I went to the cinema to see uh, a Christmas movie they were showing the Christmas movie I haven't watched since I was a kid, and I watched at the cinema Jingle All the Way. <laughs> Amazing, right? Okay, How, when did you last watch Jingle All the Way? Oh, uh, recently enough that I think I don't like it. Right, it is I I genuinely. One of the most insane films I have ever seen. Right, first of all, there is absolutely no reason for the plot of the movie that the main character needs to be a jacked Austrian man. Right, that's not that doesn't come into play. But there's also there's a later scene where he turns up an event and somebody mistakes him for somebody and gets him a suit, a tight fitting skin tight skin tight suit that they had lying around that just so happens to exactly fit. Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? 
one of the main characters blows up a gang of cops in a building. It, 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 it yeah. There are multiple crimes committed by Arnold Schwarzenegger throughout. It's yeah, it's it's astonishing. There's no there's no reason why, like Arnold Schwarzenegger is the worst parent I've ever seen in a Christmas movie. In that movie, his wife is complicit. But also, there's the fact that in addition to do you know do you know what jo- his job is? He's a mattress salesman. He's a mattress salesman. What mattress salesman needs to be working until midnight the day before Christmas Eve? So when when <laughs> Laura and I were queuing up to get our vaccines, uh, I think it was quite a long queue. And sometimes what we like to do is just invent movies that don't exist that should exist. <laughs> and the movie that we invented was. Uh, and this is this is the title. I think it was called um, Un- Untitled Jason Statham Action Movie 1997. <laughs> and the idea was that it was a movie that came out in 1997 that was basically just jinkle all the way to, to its logical conclusion, which is that <laughs> Jason Statham is a a spy, an American a spy in America, even though he sounds like he's from. Walthamstow. I don't know. I don't really know London accent, right? But he's got his regular accent. But he like regularly has lines where he describes himself as American as apple pie and things like that, right? <laughs> and uh, he um, and he's a spy, but he he moonlights as a mattress salesman. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is that every single mattress salesman is played by like a sliced alone, like a. So there's a mattress salesman <laughs> conference that is just, they're all spies. It's just... They, right. Right? That would make sense. Yeah. Except for, because this is always a thing in those movies, the the wife's, the mother of the kid's new husband is played by Henry Cavill, who is an actual mattress salesman. <laughs> <laughs> and, who, and who Jason Statham refuses to believe isn't a spy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, so... It, it's, go back to Jingle All the Way, just briefly. Wait, let it, me see the movie first. So, okay, the, so right. the, the, the plot is that um, it turns out, turns out Furbies were spies for China. <laughs> 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 and the little girl gets kidnapped. And the only... Um, and, and and so Henry Cavill and Jason Statham have to team up. But Henry Cavill, again, has no skills because he's just a mattress salesman. Except for one bit at the very end where Jason Statham has to throw his daughter out of a two-storey or three-storey window um, of a mattress warehouse. <laughs> and so Henry Cavill's actual... Because obviously Jason Statham's a terrible mattress salesman because he doesn't give a fuck about it because he's just a spy. So that's when he, that's Henry Cavill's moment to shine. He knows exactly which mattress to throw out of the window for the kid to land on. Uh, there was so much more and I can't remember it. Anyway, sorry, continue. I'd watch that film. But in so in the, like the okay in in Jingle All the Way there is a, a an ongoing B plot where Phil Hartman, God rest in peace, is trying to steal Arnold Schwarzenegger's wife, and then at the end of the movie he finds out that he is Turbo Man because uh, that's that's how it ends with Arnold Schwarzenegger dressing up as Turbo Man, uh, and Phil Hartman decides then that he's going to stop trying to sleep with this man's wife because now he's scary where he wasn't terrifying before when he was literally Mr. Universe. And also, there is a point where they there is a fully working jetpack in this movie that is used for a parade in, I believe, Milwaukee, right? Okay, to sell Turbo Man toys. That is the equivalent of if 
you went to Disneyland. Well, no, it's not because it's not even as good as Disneyland. It's like if you went to if Disney were running a parade in a small a small small city in America and they had a fully working Iron Man suit, right? It's it's like it is it is one of the most baffling movies ever, and I can't even work out. Like who? Somebody wrote it, and at no point did anybody else in the room go, "Do you think there's a few holes in this that might need closing up?" Look, I'm not an advocate for cheating, right? It is, it is the worst thing you can do. Don't don't do it. So it's 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 no bueno. Um, but at the same time, if you were going to get away with it, um, I think it would be fairly easy to get away with being the cheat. E, no, being, cheater. Be, being a cheater with Arnold Schwarzenegger's wife, because who's going to believe you? <laughs> and, and especially 1997 Arnold Schwarzenegger, who has a very stable mattress salesman job. Like, <laughs> if you're just some chud, I'm not saying Phil Hartman's a chud, but they make him look like a chud. If Arnold Schwarzenegger like legitimately beats the shit out of him. Like that's a small price to pay. Do you know what I mean? Because they're gonna, <laughs> because the public are going to be like, why would she ever go with this guy when she has Arnold Schwarzenegger at home? Arnold Schwarzenegger must just be angry on roids, and he gets into jail, <laughs> and then you have one wife up. Uh, <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger would get sent to jail. He was he's he's rich and white, so uh, it would just uh, go away, one and of- Phil Hartman would be dead. One of, uh, <laughs> one of my numerous friends who are called Jamie. Um, his and I, I, I don't know if I, I think I might have spread this to the other Jamies or asked other Jamies about this, and they've confirmed it. Uh, Jingle all the way is like up on their list of Christmas movies purely for the reason that there's a point near the end where Arnold Schwarzenegger points at the screen and shouts Jamie. <laughs> Yeah, because I know somebody who uh, whose favourite Arnold Schwarzenegger movie is um, Predator, but that's because their name is Get to the Chopper. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> All right, let's talk about Star Trek then. <laughs> yes, please. That's a great episode. I, I really like this episode. I think this episode does something very interesting, and I'm going to spoil it. I'm going to spoil it right off the bat. There was a there was a point where I was like, oh. I see we still have an all-male writer room because Bev doesn't seem to be capable of solving this problem on her own, nor really seem to have any interest in actually going about how she... No, that's me talking... That's me shitting on Bev. I'm, I'm, I'm taking that back. I didn't formulate that thought properly. It seems like the, the writers almost didn't... Just, just wanted her to be like, what's going on? But the, then it's revealed kind of at the end of the second act that what we are seeing, that I was like, oh, this is super interesting, is the crew of the Enterprise are solving a problem that we're exclusively watching the problem. Yeah. But that Bev is so smart that she's almost solving the problem from the inside. Yeah. It's like it's like that episode of Quantum Leap where you spend all of it with the guy who's been leaked into, who's hanging out in the waiting room. Oh yeah, that's a that's a yeah great episode. Yeah, but it's I I literally I, I was sitting it down working it out by the end of this episode I think it okay right I was trying to work this out where does Bev rank on like the level of intelligence per 
like in in the like rankings of the officers. Yeah. Because obviously we're excluding data from this because that's that's, that's fair, cheating. Yeah. That's yeah. cheating. And and Wesley is a prophesized wonder child. So, yeah. but like like Geordie's very very clever with physics, but physics are the same everywhere. Bev's a doctor, which means she's got to know the like details and biology of every species in the Federation and a bunch they're at war with. No, there's a difference between... And yeah, you might be sitting there thinking, I'm glad that the first time these two idiots have decided to gauge someone's intelligence is the first episode to be purely about a woman. (laughs) (laughs) There are are doctors who aren't very clever. Like There is a difference between intelligence and cleverness. And you need both, really, to be an officer on the Enterprise. You, You need to know a bunch of shit but you also need to know how to use that knowledge of a bunch of shit. And Bev is really good at that, although yeah, I guess it I guess it, it kind of almost calls into like question, like in order like is is being a doctor enough to be head of medical on a starship? Yeah, yeah. It's 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 because that's the thing with this is it really shows Bev's chops as a scientist. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Like how she works this all out. How she because the thing about this is this episode could have been about anyone. Yeah. Because literally the so what happens is Bev gets caught in a warp bubble, um, where she has it sort of imagined uh, the entire universe and it's slowly disappearing as the the bubble shrinks. Uh, and she's trying to deal with that. But literally, the reason that happens is because Bev is standing somewhere when an experiment is done. And you could have had literally any character standing there yeah. and had the same rough structure. Yes. What what it really what this episode really should be about is um, every time Geordie, for some reason, lets Wesley experiment on the warp core of the flagship of the fucking <laughs> Federation, um, maybe we should put some tensor barriers up, like, around... <laughs> Um, the super important piece of machinery that you're letting this child fuck with. Um, I think, in fairness, I'm going to say this as a as a general thing that I've realised about the design of the Enterprises. I don't think the panel that lets you fuck with the warp core should be right next to the warp core. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think maybe you shouldn't be allowed to do it unless that door's closed. <laughs> Some also, I I understand that the reason that we that we do this that we let Wesley just do what he wants on the Enterprise is basically that the traveller said that Wesley one day will be this prophesized like. King of Speed or something, right? <laughs> now, here's the thing, right? That might have been true, but do you know what I like doing sometimes is just um, just throwing out opinions I don't really believe just to see what reactions people will have. <laughs> just just because I find it... Just, look, I, I quite like arguing, and I will argue about anything with anyone, right? And it's it's not... And, and, and I, I know that sounds really horrible. A lot of the times, it is just for my own fucking amusement, or just like, <laughs> like. But it, but it always be like really little things. Like I, and I think I've done it on this podcast. But it's time to come clean. I genuinely believe that you kind of need the two pores to make a good Guinness. <laughs> and this is a genuine opinion. I I do think you can do it in one, but it's a bit like um, clutch control. Like I, I think that you have to be just really good at doing it. 
I think if you right. can, if you can if you're really good at doing it, you could probably do it in one, right? And it would probably be indistinguishable from a two pour, a two pint, a two poured pint. But I think the reason that Guinness insists on the two pour one marketing, obviously, uh, and two uh, to make sure that even your most inexperienced bar person can pour a decent fucking pint at Guinness. Um, but I it, occasionally I'll just throw that fucking grenade into a conversation, just be like, I don't know, <laughs> day two. just because it gets people arguing, and I I I kind of I think that's quite amusing. Like, and it's like then you get to do a lot of bits. And it, it's better than, you know, talking to people about, like, so I hear your mum has cancer. No, um, <laughs> just, just, uh, anyway, my, but my point is, what if the traveller was just doing a bit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, 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 the traveller does pop up again in this episode. Um, uh, so maybe... He's put on weight. He was like... <laughs> <laughs> So I was going to say, like, either he, if he was doing a bit, maybe he's realised it's gone too far. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, what I also like about this episode is normally when you get, like, a Doctor episode in an episode of Star Trek, it's because they found a planet where everyone's dying of a plague. Yeah. And and you get, like, a, a Doctor Sans Frontiers thing where they, like, stay down and go, like, oh, it doesn't matter if I get exposed because I'm going to cure it and something like that. And where this was just like, no, no, it's not that. Yeah, it's, it's just a weird science thing. Because <laughs> this is this is the thing, right? The 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 detective story is one of our original stories, right? Like it's who any story that is who did this and why, or or even what is this is essentially a detective story. So I think that in the modern day we think of detectives as being just all oh, the other ones that solve crimes, but like. Grey's Anatomy is a fucking detective show. It's, it's just, yeah. It's just it just happens to be a bit a different, um, uh, uh job uh, than, yeah. than law enforcement. Um, and uh, where was I going with this? Yeah. So so like Sherlock Holmes occasionally. I mean, Doctor Watson is a surgeon. I think can't remember. Um, yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, a, he's a medic. Uh, so yeah. like doctors do make amazing detectives and I, and I, I I don't know what my point was when I started this though um, <laughs> Beverly's a great detective I think maybe or something yeah so so, I, so yeah. I, I, I think we should say what the plot is because yeah so uh, Bev has an old friend visit her on board the ship and then there's a flash of light and then suddenly no one can not only does is he oh, not on the ship we should point out sorry that Beverly meets her old friend and then she goes then she she gets him sort of chilled out in his room or whatever. And then she goes uh, down to engineering to see Wes. To see Wes, yeah. Because she was talking to her old friend about how everyone he's ever loved is dead. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, jolly. Uh, and, then, and, then, <laughs> and then she was like, Oh, I can't really handle this. And she's like, Do you think you could pour a Guinness in one pour? <laughs> Because uh, I think that two poor pint bullshit is just—it's <laughs> just a lie, it's just a scam. Do you? How do you reckon the the? How do you reckon the replicators do it? <laughs> do they give you a full Guinness. I imagine. Or do they give you it slightly filled, and then the rest of it is then beamed in just above the Guinness later. Because so what? Right. Because what I discovered, right? Having this discussion with my uh, in-laws, um, and I won't—I won't name any names uh, because. Um, it's essentially treason. 
in Ireland to believe that a Guinness can just be poured in one. <laughs> but I've had conversations with people who I am related to who are like, yeah, well, technically, now that they have liquid nitrogen kegs and not the wooden casks that they used to come in, you can absolutely just do it in one pour. But it's but it's like it needs to it's like fucking Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. So <laughs> there are Irish people who do think that it is possible. But I guess it, it it it'd be like it'd be like being an Irish person saying that you know maybe maybe the Catholic Church is fucking a lot of kids back in the sixties. Like you would you wouldn't say it in polite company, right? But um, I genuinely believe that even to this day, O'Brien is like, if anything, a Guinness should be poured in three parts. I, <laughs> I, I imagine, because O'Brien obviously has access to the replicators, right? Whether he's allowed to or not, doesn't matter. But I think that the person... Right, I'd say... Right, so I'd say that there's three replicators that O'Brien interacts with most in his life, right? Which is the the replicator in his, his room, right? His, his, yeah. his, his little apartment, right? The replicator in uh, 10 Forward, uh, obviously... And, of course, the secret replicator that he keeps underneath the transport desk, <laughs> uh, that is exactly the size of a pint of Guinness uh, and no more. He doesn't need to have a... Because surely the transporter can double as a replicator. It's exactly the yeah, same okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, <laughs> yeah, but the transport doesn't have unlimited range, does it? No. So, uh, yeah, so he can't just be like, all right, I'm going to... I'm going to... I'm going to... Getting a fucking Guinness from Temple Bar, <laughs> and then there's just some some American because I because I imagine in in the in like I imagine fucking even two hundred years down the line when we've like gotten by the the outdated concepts of fucking nationality and or, or nationalism and 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 patriotism and fucking religion and all that with all that. But all that shit's in the bin. I bet there's still Americans that go to Dublin and are just like, my great-granddad was Irish, right? <laughs> so I imagine that there's some guy in fucking Future Temple Temple Bar who's like got there and he's like, oh my God, I'm so happy. I can't wait. It's finally time for an authentic Guinness. The barman does a, <laughs> just, just, just for his own amusement, does a five-pour pint. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it takes... It takes 25 full minutes, and as soon as he puts the pint down, it just disappears. <laughs> <laughs> because O'Brien's just beamed on the, on the Enterprise. And it's not even one for drinking. This is one of the ones for throwing it data. <laughs> oh. <laughs> anyway, I reckon O'Brien has reprogrammed those three replicators to make sure that and I don't even, I think, I, I imagine he could make it poor, but I, I also think he maybe just makes it beam in like three thirds or two thirds full and then just give it like 90 seconds and then replicate the rest of it But here's the thing, I don't think I, th- I think that in that point, by that point in the future, I don't even think Guinness would be based in Ireland Do you think Do you think we'll have, we'll have moved wholesale to the, to the Guinness factory and is it Zimbabwe? No, here's what I think, right? Okay, everybody goes on that Guinness in Ireland is better because it's made with the water directly from the River Liffey, isn't it? Or something like that. Uh, and yeah. that's the marking. So all I'm going to say is, I, I, if you don't think that in our entire exploration of, of, of space we're ever going to find a planet that has a better river for making Guinness, right? <laughs> what if it's like, by that point, it's like, well, if you want a proper Guinness, you want one made on Bajor, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, from the river. The, I, the, the, the Actually, I don't know the name of the river. The internal geography of any planet that isn't directly Earth is never properly discussed <laughs> at Star Trek. <laughs> so, so where we're on this, the, 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 the reason that Guinness is better in Ireland is because they fucking make it there and it doesn't have to travel anywhere. <laughs> that's, that's why. <laughs> that's the, it's nothing to do with the water. Uh, it's the same fucking water. Um, it's because they only make it in one place unless you're buying it in Nigeria um, because there is a Guinness factory in Nigeria. And get this, if you go onto the Wikipedia page of Guinness Nigeria, the first thing it says is Guinness Nigeria a Nigerian-based subsidy of Diageo PLC of the United Kingdom. <laughs> so that's it. The Brits have finally got their mitts on Guinness. It's what they wanted all along. I mean... We only had to genocide over a million people to get it. I mean, you say finally got their hands on it. We did definitely have our hands on it at a point previously. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, that, that point when we had all of Ireland. Uh <laughs> Bad times. Um, what, what were we talking about? <laughs> Beverly, Beverly Crusher. <laughs> oh, yeah. Pete, she's in a warp bubble. Yeah, she's in a warp bubble, and people keep disappearing, and no one can remember them. And I, I quite like the fact that when she brings up that there's this person who doesn't exist like anymore, nobody doubts her. I really like that, yeah. Nobody jumps to, Bev is crazy. Yeah. Everybody jumps to... Oh, there seems to be something wrong. And even to the point where they're like, well, there must be something wrong with O'Brien's memory. Yeah. If he doesn't remember this person coming on board. Yeah, so so the way that this works out, so so obviously this person came on with Bev, um, and O'Brien saw him, and O'Brien was just like waiting for, for his pint of Guinness to arrive. Um, <laughs> and so he's, he's like, so Bev says the chief. This is oh by the way, this is the first time we ever learn O'Brien's full name. Yeah. Um, and she says, "Oh, this guy's this guy's Doctor Zeus. I can't remember. It's Doctor Quace. Doctor Quace. This is uh, this is Chief uh, O'Brien. He's like, oh yeah, Miles Edward O'Brien or whatever. It's nice. I can't. I think they have some joke about being non non commissioned, or maybe that was Worf's dad. Yeah. Uh, anyways. So she, so he, so he's, so so the, so the episode is like O'Brien saw this guy, yeah. Did we all get that? He's not drunk yet. Yeah. <laughs> so off he off he goes, and then yeah, and then she's like, find this bloke to the computer, and the computer's like that bloke doesn't exist. Um, and yeah, like it, Worf comes round, and and Worf's like, uh, there's no record of him coming on, Picard would have given permission, there's no record of that or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and, and, then and I was it, like, I've never heard even, you never sent me a request. Yeah, but yeah, he yeah. is, even Worf, who is not known as a master of tact, <laughs> is full scale, like, all right, we'll, we'll figure out what this is. Like, we'll, like yeah. yeah, no one ever doesn't believe it. And he, even, even at one point, a few cycles down, Picard is like, I'm paraphrasing here, but he's kind of like, I'm not going to jump to you're crazy. Why would I yeah. do that? <laughs> you're clearly not. I, I think that's the problem with being in Starfleet is it's like someone could be crazy, but it's never that they're crazy. It's always a weird space thing. Oh, so we need to check that. <laughs> yeah, she um, she she had a she had a fucking excellent uh, quote that uh, that made me laugh quite a lot. Uh, if I can 
explained it. Is it the one where she's describing Worf, who no one can remember, and she describes him as the big guy who never smiles before she goes to Klingon? <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe I didn't write this down, but does she not say at one point say something along the lines of, um, well, if there's nothing wrong with me, then it's the universe that must be wrong. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, that's coming into my... Yeah, yeah, she does. It's So it's it's everybody is steadily disappearing. Um, so like her entire medical staff Aye. disappear and then everybody else is like well you've always been the only medical staff and like Bev is like well what if there's a medical emergency involving me or if I'm asleep yeah, that doesn't yeah. make sense yeah. <laughs> and it keeps paring down until eventually it's just her and Picard Yeah, and she's like, and Picard's like and she's like why don't we have a crew and Picard's like oh, we've never needed a crew before yeah, <laughs> it's like... yeah. And, it, and the thing is, right, it starts paring down because it's. We first noticed this, I think, when when she's like, "Well, how many people are on board?" And Data's like, "Well, the appropriate amount, like two hundred and fifty." And she's like, uh, "It should be, it should be a thousand like, people on this ship." <laughs> and and I like I like to think that the um, now like putting on the meta gaming hat here, the the reason why the bridge crew were the last ones to disappear. It's because those are the salaried actors. Yeah. That we and the people who we will recognise and the people who we will feel for disappearing. But I like to think that people disappeared in the order of like Bev's like rank of importance. Yeah. Which is why I think it's bizarre that her medical crew goes away immediately. <laughs> it's also bizarre that um, Wesley hangs around for so long. Uh the yeah. child she <laughs> fundamentally doesn't care about (laughs) (laughs) she's just waiting for Jack Crusher (laughs) a child she loves so much she will leave Starfleet for (laughs) rather than her own kid a kid she won't even bother trying that hard to get out of a warp bubble alternate universe (laughs) To, to to give the fucking feeling that he didn't murder her if we do ever get a, an ongoing Star Trek series on um, the new Enterprise with um, Seven yeah. and um, and Jack Jack Crusher yeah. is on board it, I want the episode where they encounter a um, bizarre otherworldly traveller through time and space who is Wesley Crusher and how much Wesley Crusher is going to be annoyed with Jack Crusher for one being his his mother's favourite son yeah. and two being. Picard's actual son. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Um, I worry. I I worry about Star Trek Legacy a little bit. I, I imagine that because I, I I truly believe in like difficult second album syndrome. Yeah. And like I I love Terry Metalis, right? I think Terry Metalis is amazing, but I'm curious. And obviously, I do, I want him to make more stuff to because at the moment this is just Schrodinger's cat. But like, yeah. what if it turns out that Picard season three is just that's what Terry Metalis was here to make, and then he can't do anything else? Because <laughs> I don't want the fandom to turn on someone who made something so amazing. It's it's why I don't know, man. I was kind of I can't really remember how I felt when I heard that Taika was doing Thor four. Because I was like, <laughs> uh, he's kind of done that. He's kind of already said all he really needs to say with that character, hasn't he? Like, do we really need to be squeezing this fucking lemon even more? And then we all turned on him. And it well, feels so bad. It's because all of us had in our head what we thought, thought, thought was going to be, and it wasn't that. And it's like, 
for instance, like I'm just going to say this, Taika Waititi, if you're if you're starting a movie with Fat Four, and at the end of it you want to have like jacked four, but you also want to get there in your own inimitable style, and you're trying to do like an '80s album cover of a, of a movie, it's like just just have Eye of the Tiger and do a fucking get in shape montage to start your film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, right. And let's not forget that. Um, Fucking people were into Fat Thor. <laughs> like, <laughs> mega into him. And we should have gotten a movie with Fat Thor, but whatever. <laughs> Disney wouldn't have wanted that. They would have been like, you had your movie. And it's like, yeah, but it was a sad movie. Not a whole, not a whole sad movie. It was really happy. I really like that bit at the end where he catches both hammers and then shouts to Steve, no, you have the little one. That, looks, <laughs> that brings me quite a lot of joy. <laughs> also, the, the sheer joy I have of when um, Four sees Cap with the hammer and instead of being upset, instead of being worried that his position of Four is going to be taken, just yells, I knew it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, he has decided, like, if there's anybody who's worthy, it's clearly, it's clearly Tony. Uh, uh, no, it's, it's, it's clearly uh, Steve, not right, Tony. Tony's I, definitely not worthy. I, I take right. I take that line reading slightly differently. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think that um, Thor is an arrogant dick, right? Now, a perfectly charming arrogant dick, and like I'm an arrogant dick. You can be an arrogant dick and like not be a bad person. I don't. Know. Anyway, my point, yeah, I, I was my saying, point is, to be fair, it doesn't really. Come, it's it's that thing of like it might be arrogance, but you are literally the god of thunder. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> it's like how I'm amazing and God speaks through me, right? So I can afford to do that. Um, but um, the, it's the bit in Age of Ultron where I think Steve can already lift the hammer in Age of Ultron, but chooses not to. However, he doesn't have such... Pe- because he's never tried it before, he doesn't have a perfect feeling of its weight, so he kind of nudges it a little bit, which should be impossible. And you see Thor, and he kind of raises an eyebrow, and then I reckon... The rest of the time between Avengers Age of Ultron and Avengers <laughs> Endgame, whenever Thor and Steve have gotten together, which actually isn't all that much now, thinking about the plot, because Thor immediately goes off into fucking space. I imagined he just spent every fucking single second he could trying to get Steve to lift that hammer. So <laughs> when he says, I knew it, I don't think it's him being happy for his friend Steve. I, I think it's more just Thor just being happy that his own opinion was correct. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> anyway, everybody starts disappearing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and you end up with Beverly being the only person on the Enterprise. And she has that wonderful conversation with the ship's computer where she's just like, right, okay, how many people does it take to run this ship? Yeah. <laughs> she's like, well, you need a complement of at least 150 people minimum to do everything. And like Beverly's like, right, even if, if it could be done by one, would it be the chief medical officer? Or would it be somebody <laughs> with engineering skills? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who, and, and yeah, she's just like, well, no, yeah, so the, this is impossible. And then she asks the ship to define, yeah, she asks it to set a course for the Starbase, and then it's like, yeah, that doesn't exist. Yeah, <laughs> and then she's like well can you define the universe and it's like yeah the universe is a bubble about like a thousand miles across that is an <laughs> excellent because that because that, that that line that i really love that made me laugh which i'm sure is, is from this it makes sense that it's from this yeah. just, which is there if there's nothing wrong with me then there has to be something majorly wrong with the universe 
which is definitely going into my daily rotation. Um, <laughs> but it, but you kind of get that. That's when that spark happens because she makes a point of saying, "Computer, I'm now going to ask you a question. It should be impossible for you to answer. Can you define the universe?" Um, I would never have thought that. And that's why I'm not the chief medical officer on the flagship. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's it's. This is a. I love this episode yeah, so much. Me too. And this is a bottle episode, by the way. Not not last. The last yeah. one we did wasn't a bottle episode. This is as bottly as you can get. Uh, this is this is a bottle episode where the bottle has been upended and is leaking out yep. <laughs> away from where your episode is happening. There's three sets in this entire fucking episode, <laughs> and it's yeah. the ones we already have. Gates McFadden as well is great in this because there's a lot of stuff where she's got to do face acting. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff where she's the only person on screen yeah. for like a, a solid 10, 20 minutes. And yeah, I just I absolutely love it. I also love when the ship starts to disappear. When it's like, oh yeah, there's a structural problem with the ship. This was the structural problem. Nobody seems to have built the forward section. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I, because I, we have to take, because I think the whole point is that the, the warp bubble so what we discover later on is that the warp bubble is as much a mental problem as it is like a space-time problem. Like it basically captured a moment of Beverly's thoughts and made that into a universe. But it was, the idea was she was thinking about losing people. Yeah. She was talking to Dr. Seuss um, and he was like... <laughs> My wife is dead. I'm on my head. Uh, <laughs> your shirt isn't red because you're a doctor. Um, I know that wasn't Dr. Seuss's rhyming scheme, all right? Don't fucking come at me, Seuss fans. Uh, also, Guy was kind of racist, but but to be fair, he did come around on it in later life. Why can't we all just do that? Why can't we all just admit that we have bad opinions sometimes and then just change? Joanne. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so, so she so she makes herself a sadness universe. Um, yeah. Which sometimes we'd all like to. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, what was my point? Bev makes a sadness universe. And, uh, oh, no. <laughs> she does keep seeing, like, um, a weird spacey thing mm. that's trying to suck her into it. Uh, and we assume that's a bad thing that's probably sucking her in up and killing everybody else. But it turns out it's actually Wesley and Geordie trying to get her out of the warp bubble. And then the traveller turns up and is like, oh, I can do this. Um, yeah. by making my hands go somewhat transparent. I am um, <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't hate that it was a literal DSX machina. Um like like yeah. you, you you could not have found a more literal um use of the term god from the machine, right? But it doesn't matter because as far as I'm concerned the person who solved this problem was Beverly. Um, from the inside by being smart. The episode isn't really about the crew of the Enterprise trying to solve the problem. It's about Beverly trying to solve the problem and realising it's like, oh, hold on a minute. 
if there's something wrong in the universe, this is uh, it's collapsing. Oh, this looks exactly like that warp bubble Wesley was creating. That means that, that oh, they've been trying to get me out, and I need to be in engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's great. I do. I the only thing that questions that I do question is is yeah, maybe she's under a lot of stress, but there's a but there is a little bit <laughs> later on where it's like uh, she goes now now where oh I, now where was I standing. When I saw that bright light, I was beside Wesley. But where was Wesley when he was doing <laughs> these engineering problems? <laughs> where was Wesley standing when he was engineering problems for these engineering issues? Was it in his bedroom? Was it, and it was the fucking a bluey. I don't know. I don't know what bluey's about. Um, I don't have kids yet. Was it? Yeah. Is it? Was he in the kitchen? Where was he, viewers? Oh, he was in engineering. Um, Can you spell engineering? Yeah, uh, <laughs> um, yeah. it did. It was a little bit like there. There is uh, most of the way through the episode. I'm kind of like following with along with Bev and her, like working out of things. And that was the only point in the episode where I was I was ahead of Bev when I was like that the ship's disappearing. You need to use the lift while they still exist. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. if you look at where the universe is disappearing too. You're naturally going to wind up in engineering anyway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that's the middle of this thing, which should be an indication of where, <laughs> of where you need to be. Yeah, she keeps um, she keeps getting poltergeisted. Mm. But the bizarre thing is, is that they kind of almost change the script halfway through because originally she's getting, they almost like suck her into the portal, but then at the end she has to choose to leave the portal. Which, yes, I get it, metaphor. Like you, you, you ultimately kind of have to decide yourself sometimes to step out of sad time universe. But yeah, but, it's, but I'd say that it does give us that excellent um, effect of her being horizontal, like pulled when she's holding on to Data's uh, nav station. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, which swings. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I, which is just one of my lovely little features of the of the set that it does that. Like, that somebody built that set. And goes, well, actually, various people are going to be set on here. This should all be adjustable. <laughs> yeah, we, we have too we have too many people already sitting down in bizarre ways. Like <laughs> it's 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 a huge part of Data's character that he has to do everything like a robot. So if he, so if in order to get out of his station, he kind of has to, oh, just uh, get up, like, just uh, just squeeze it, like no, that's not going to work. He has to be able to just stand straight up out of it. Um, I'm glad the traveller came back because when they started talking about him, I was like, oh, because I think this is the f- second of three times he appears. Yeah. Uh, the the next time is to just take Wesley away. Your mum doesn't love you. Come with me. Making me one of him, one of my favourite characters. Uh, just like goes Wesley you can just leave now oh thank you and I'm like yep cheers mate I, I like Wesley I'm a, I'm a Wesley apologist I'd like Wesley I think Wesley gets too much screen time that's my my issue yeah fair enough um, yeah. I, I think that that my, my here's my issue if you're gonna have a genius wonder child on your science fiction show don't then also have an android who is trying to learn what it is to be human. I feel those two, yeah. like it's one or the other, and data's better. <laughs> it's almost kind of to the point where I, I, I think I almost kind of prefer season one Wesley from like a, a TV pop culture kind of 
evolution type of view, which is that the reason that Wesley is there is because Star Trek didn't have a kid and they wanted to appeal to young kids, which is a thing that we just did in the 80s and 90s. We even still do it to, to an extent now, but it's like the kids need someone to relate to, but he also needs a reason to be there, so he's also a genius. Just, <laughs> which is fine, right? Because he's a kid. But now that he's like slightly older, it's like, you're just a, a young member of the crew and I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. Like the child genius in a science fiction show it was such a trope. It does. The thing is, a lot of a lot of people these days don't go back and watch old sci-fi, yeah. Unless it's Star Trek, um, but like child geniuses were all over your Buck Rogerses and your Space nineteen ninety nines. Like it's such yeah, a trope yeah, that yeah, there's thing, yeah. the pilot in Galaxy Quest was a child actor who's now an adult. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and frankly, Galaxy Quest doesn't play enough into the fact that he should be deeply messed up as a human being. <laughs> it would be great if his life was had fallen apart, like if he had a, a steady drug addiction. <laughs> I think Galaxy Quest is fucking perfect, and I wouldn't change a single thing about it. I, I wouldn't even... I wouldn't even like to see the, the R-rated version because uh, I think it would ruin it. I could, because the because the fact of me pausing it just before Sigourney Weaver says "screw that" and me getting to say "watch her mouth" because she says "fuck," um, <laughs> like, and everyone going, "Oh, that means more to me than her saying fuck." Yeah, she. I, I guess I is if you if you count Galaxy Quest as a Star Trek movie, it keeps alive the um, odd even. Um, yeah. pattern yeah. Uh, by being the good movie between um, is it is it Insurrection and Nemesis yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah cause, uh, and, and uh, I, I, it's the same way I feel about Scooby-Doo uh, the James Gunn Scooby-Doo movie which I watch all the fucking time because they, they made it as an R-rated comedy uh, in which they constantly talk about getting stoned, and there's lots of jokes about them. Just, just like out there on the on the fucking on Front Street, it's like all about them getting stoned and swearing and stuff, which is also a joke in Galaxy Quest that they had to cut. Uh, but um, Tony Shalhoub is constantly stoned, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is why he's always eating and confused. Um, but uh, but then when they when I, I I think this is a story. I think they started making Scooby Doo as that. So there are remnants of it in the movie. But then when they came to the editing process, they went, actually, we could make this for kids and make a lot of money. They then turned it into a kids' movie. And I think that thing of being made for adults but being edited for kids, like, doesn't always work. In fact, it most often doesn't. But when it does work, it really fucking works. Um, And we know that it wouldn't have worked had they not done that because that's what Scooby-Doo 2 is. Um. I, I, I agree for the most part. If it, it wasn't for the fact that I know that both Felmer and Louise digitally had their outfits made more modest. Felmer and, and Scro- Louise. <laughs> Sorry, Felmer, Felmer and Daphne. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, both had their um, outfits digitally made more modest. So they cover, because you can't get away with as skimpy outfits as you can. And I was robbed of Linda Cardellini as a uh, a sexy Velma and screw you, screw you, screw you to death everyone involved in that decision <laughs> that would have been the exact Venn diagram of my yeah. interests <laughs> he, um, he also like uh, I believe out, like full, full outwardly make Velma a lesbian 
Yeah. I think that was yeah, that yeah. was just in the text of the script. And that's why in the finished movie there's one scene that was clearly a reshoot where she sits at the bar with some guy who's kind of like, I think you're kind of cute or whatever. And then you never hear from him again until another very obvious reshoot at the end when she like runs up and hugs him. Yeah, it's... No. No. If, if you don't think that Velma Hinckley in the original series of Scooby-Doo yeah. was uh, uh, a lesbian... Uh, then you're an idiot. Or just do you know how do you know do you know how to really cement your opinion on that? Ask literally any lesbian <laughs> what they think. So I I okay. I I've 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 I found something troubling about the Scooby gang a little while ago. Um so I have often assumed that the reason that the Scooby gang is a group of college age kids on the road travelling around America is that they were dodging the draft. <laughs> right, but I recently found out that um, Scooby Doo actually, the original series, actually ran for a full two years after um, the Vietnam War ended, so it couldn't be that. So I started like trying to work it out and um, figure out if there was something that could have brought a disparate group of people together, right? But then suddenly needed that that guy the group needed to go on the run, um, and Scooby Doo started airing one month after the Manson murders. <laughs> Um, now, if you, no, I'm just saying that group of friends doesn't make a lot of sense. But if you throw in a charismatic cult leader that's brought them all together, suddenly that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. The dog. <laughs> right? yeah. yeah. Um, can I just ask, is this a set that you're working on? No. Can I have no, it? No, I've just... <laughs> Go for it. I've, I've, I've tried. I can't, I can't get it to work. Sweet. All right. That's why I Googled that information. I was like, where were they on the road? Well, what I'll uh, do is I'll just do it well. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> my no, my only Scooby Doo bit is that the Catholic Church are the ultimate Scooby Doo villains because they use um, funny costumes and um, stories of the supernatural to enrich themselves. The only difference is that a Scooby Doo villain would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for those meddling kids. Whereas the Catholic Church, and I've never had to write the end of that <laughs> joke. <laughs> Everyone's always got there before me. <laughs> I um I used to I mean I've um, I'm a I'm a lazy man um and I like the idea of projects more than I like actually doing projects but I think I've told you this before because I think I invited you on it I was wanting to do a podcast series like a video series where me and a friend watch most of an episode of Scooby Doo and then pause <laughs> it before the end <laughs> and just like put our brains together and try and figure out who did it and why. And I was like, the only reason that, that it exists is because I thought a podcast titled Meddling Kids would be really funny. <laughs> if anyone is listening and wants that idea, you can have it on the condition that I am involved and that I don't have to do any of the editing or recording for it. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the biggest problem with being trying to make it in comedy is that you have to develop the skills of being an editor, um, which um, no, no, nobody wants. Editors I have aren't those funny. skills. I just can't be <laughs> fucked. I started yeah. playing cyberpunk again. Right, that's taken up a lot of my time. I've I've just about finished Red Dead Redemption Two now, um, uh, which I bounced off a few times, and I'm just going to say is narratively quite unsatisfying nice um because it tells a very touching story but obviously the 
like final chapter where all the villains get their comeuppance is 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 Red Dead Redemption One. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, I get I, I get yeah it's yeah fine. I, I, I want to get Red Dead Redemption One so I can just track down and kill Dutch Vandalin. That's <laughs> for, uh, yeah for what he did to a character who was very important to James Marston, but weirdly he never mentioned once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he doesn't, does he? <laughs> He wears his hat, and I think that's it. And I'm supposed to infer from that. Oh yeah, Arthur meant a lot to him. Do you think? Do you think that's why Rockstar have never ported Red Dead Redemption One to the PC because they know that, that people would mod in like a better storyline than they could write? And Red Dead Redemption One is a fucking masterpiece. I, I all I all I hope is at this point is if they are going to do a Red Dead Redemption Three rather than doing a further prequel where we get, like, the story of how Dutch van der Linde became a bastard, right? I just said it afterwards, and I'll just be a bounty... I'll, I'll play Sadie Adler as a bounty hunter. That would be fine. Oh, yeah, that'd be <laughs> fun, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um... Anyway, De- Bev, Bev saves saves the day, and by the day, I mean herself. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> and uh, it's fine, because we need, we need Bev. Uh, we had a season without Bev, and it was a disaster. Uh, so, so we need Bev. Keep, keep going, keep going, Hen. You can, F- you fair, can do it. And fair play to the writers, because, like I say, could it could have literally been this could have been a Geordie episode. This could have been a. This would have worked quite well as a Data yep. episode, where Data was like, "Well, no, my memory banks can't be changed." I'm like that. That could have worked. It could have worked quite well with quite a lot of other characters. But instead, they went. Actually, Bev's the most interesting one. Yeah, because uh, it would have been somewhat interesting if it had been Data, because they, yeah, Data would have that. So the other characters would be like, mm, "He's right." So the other characters would help Data solve the problem. But I, it's I think the episode only works if only the characters on the outside universe are solving the problem. Yeah, but Bev is obviously solving it in her own way inside, and yeah, yeah, it's a good episode. That's good, great. Episode. Definitely give it a watch. Yeah, do it. I mean. Well, it's, it's Stargate TNG season four. What else are you going to say? It's, it's, <laughs> if, it, yeah. if, if it's not a banger, it's at least pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah this is gonna, that's the level of quality we're going to have going on for some time. <laughs> yeah, <until laughs> about season seven. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, right. Well, bye. Bye. The Captain Slog is performed by Mark O'Neill and Eddie Edwards. You can follow both of them on Twitter and Instagram. Mark's at RealMarkO'Neill and Eddie is at EdEdwardsComedy. If you like the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter and now on YouTube at Captain Slog. And we have a Facebook page as well. Or if you really like what we do here, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Captain Slog.